0: No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The best conversations I have with my colleagues are the ones that happen when no one is looking, when we're not 100% sure yet what to write.
2: Hopefully,
3: having conversations like this can help you figure out your own point of view. That's kind of our job as Washington Post opinions columnists. I'm Charles Lane, deputy opinion editor.
0: And I'm Amanda Ripley, a contributing columnist. We're going to bring you into these conversations on a new podcast
4: called Impromptu.
2: Follow impromptu now, wherever you listen.
4: Hi, this is Newt. Because of the coronavirus, I am currently staying at home in Rome, where my wife serves as the United States Ambassador to the Holy See. She's leading the embassy in dealing with all the different changes being brought about by the pandemic. To bring you this episode this week, I'm recording from my home, so you may notice a difference in audio quality. On this episode of Newt's World, I have a new novel that was released this week entitled Shakedown. Valerie Mayberry and Brett Garrett, fictional characters you met in my national bestseller, Collusion, are caught in the middle of a deadly crisis with an impending nuclear bomb attack and little help from the government who sidelined them both. I'll talk about how the book is based on real life events and how with every new novel I write, I'm always considering the geopolitical events happening in the world and how to fictionalize them. I'm pleased to welcome my guests, Pete Early, my co-author of Shakedown, and Dr. Jeffrey Mankoff, Deputy Director and Senior Fellow, Russia and Eurasia Program at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Pete, without giving away too much of the plot, You actually found an example of a Soviet plan, which was luckily never carried out. Why don't you talk about what the Soviets themselves thought they were doing, and which became really the backdrop against which we agreed to do shakedown?
2: In 2000, one of the highest ranking Russians in Soviet intelligence defected. He was under Putin. The FBI kept him hidden for five years before they actually brought him out and said, hey, this guy's a defector. And One of the things he told me when I interviewed him for my book was about this really wild sounding plot to cause a tsunami by detonating a nuclear bomb off our coastline. And that would definitely cause significant damage. He claimed it. their studies showed it would flood the East Coast from Charleston, South Carolina, all the way to Boston. It would drown Washington, D.C. And when you and I decided we wanted to look into that, we discovered that actually it began as an idea with the U.S. military. One of the things we pride ourselves on is the amount of research we do and in fact, reviewers have commented about unknown facts that now are appearing in our books that are really kind of shocking. And there was a project called Project SEAL in 1944 during the war where the U.S. government thought if we could weaponize a tsunami, this would be great, and especially against Japan. And so they detonated, I think, over 3,700 bombs off the New Zealand coast trying to see if this would work. We abandoned that plan because, believe it or not, the government was putting it on the same level as studies for a hydrogen bomb. And when the bomb became more of reality, they put the tsunami aside. Well, the Soviets picked this up in the 60s. Luckily, Nikita Khrushchev decided that it was too risky. The idea was that they were so inept with their submarines that they could do this off our coast with a nuclear bomb in a submarine and act like it was an accident. And that would give them an excuse to attack our country. And so that's kind of one of the major plots that we have in Shakedown.
4: Part of what makes it intriguing to me and brings it into the modern era is we have a very significant role for the Iranians, who clearly, as we all now know, are routinely trying to find ways to hurt us and who have operatives who are very competent. And as you point out to me the other day, we have this little challenge in that the central Iranian figure got killed in Baghdad by the Americans a couple months ago. But it also tells you about how authentic our effort to portray these people is that the guy who has a different name, obviously, in Shakedown, but he really is modeled on the man who had been the lead planner for the Iranian terrorist
2: organization for, I think, 20 or 25 years. Absolutely. When I say it's based on research, what we did was look at videos of Soleimani. And it was interesting because he was very, very calm when he spoke. He was very smart, but he was also very devious. And he interwined uh, religion. And we do that in the book, too, where we talk about passing, I think it's the Khyber flag. And that's a religious reference. And how that then means something to the Iranian people because Muhammad at one point, was directing an attack on a settlement and none of the generals could do it. They were being beaten back. And then all of a sudden, God chose a foot soldier and directed him to lead the attack. And so when you have somebody who's the head of the most notorious force against us, the Quds Force leading this effort to destroy the United States and you intertwine the religion, then it gives you a better understanding, which we try to convey in the book about why people believe this.
4: We then have an overlap with a Russian oligarch. So you have Two of America's most dangerous opponents finding a reason to collaborate, and in both cases, without the official approval of their government. In Shakedown, we're really laying out for people a way of thinking about the world that is really important, that it's much more intertwined than people think. It's much more complicated than people think. The dangers that can emerge can emerge in ways you haven't quite imagined. As usual, the bureaucracy doesn't want to believe it. So we end up with our two heroic figures, Brett Garrett and Valerie Mayberry, have to operate, in a sense, beyond being independent agents. In some ways, they're mavericks who are clearly outside the approval of the system. But if they didn't do what they did, we might have lost Baltimore and Washington. And in a sense, I think the model you and I have Comes out of all the people we've known that are the Brett Garretts and they are the Valerie Mayburys and the people who do what they think is right, even if their bureaucratic boss doesn't quite understand how to deal with them.
2: I think that's really an astute point. And it's a point where it comes from the ground up, it comes from someone thinking outside the box. In our last book, Collusion, we really painted a very accurate picture of Putin and how he's willing to do just about anything for money. The relationship between the Russian government and these kind of satellite people who operate on their own, there's ties there that aren't always obvious. And that's one of the things we tried to stress in Shakedown, where you have a character who's an oligarch who really has ties to the Kremlin, but no direct government position. You know, one of the weirdest stories I also learned from this defector, Sergei Tretyakov was right after the collapse of the soviet union a group of russian businessmen decided they'd make millions of dollars by drilling i think it was three thousand holes in a area of russia that was off the arctic coast that was used for nuclear testing they're going to drill these holes they're each going to be a thousand feet deep and then they're going to drill a big hole right in the center they were going to invite all the countries with nuclear waste to come in and dump all their nuclear waste in these holes then they were going to drop a 100 megaton bomb in the center of it and blow them all up and this was quasi approved by putin and his people and they were moving forward with it until some folks got wind and exposed it in the canadian press and they were shamed out of it but my point is that there were a lot of really scary ideas involving nuclear devices that if they could make a profit, they had no problem moving forward. It's almost kind of shocking. If you grew up in the Soviet Union
4: and your role model was Joseph Stalin and you had been trained by the KGB, you probably have a different set of values than we do. And in parallel, if you've grown up in Iran as a genuine religious fanatic, and your entire model has been built around first the founding Ayatollah Khomeini and now the current Ayatollah Khomeini and you think that, for example, in the tradition of your religion, that lying to your enemy is totally appropriate and in fact almost a requirement. Well, you blend those two together; they both dislike America. The Russian wants to make money because being an oligarch in Russia is a very high value thing. The Iranian simply wants to hurt the United States. In a way that will make him look heroic back home because he'll have done his duty. I think we try in Shakedown and in Collusion, we try to reach through for the reader to create an exciting adventure that accurately reflects the complexity, describes it in a simple enough way that it's fun and it's interesting and it's a good read. But we're introducing you to a world that's probably very different than the world of the daily news channel talk shows.
2: If you look at Shakedown, you'll see a connection, Iran, Russia, and China. But if you look specifically in the real world, one of the things that the defector told US intelligence and told me later in the book was that the main inspector for the atomic energy sent in to make sure Iran was keeping his promises was a Russian controlled person and he's still in office. He had been recruited by the defector who said, I recruited this guy. He's a Russian asset, and he's the one who is making reports back on whether Iran is complying. In July of 2018, Mossad operative broke into a warehouse in Tehran, and they took out a half ton of secret materials it was an amazing operation. They did it without getting caught. They cut through 32 Iranian safes. They hauled out over 50,000 pages of documents, 163 compact discs. And the Israeli prime minister showed this information to President Trump. And it just proved that the Iranians were being deceptive and that they were intent on resuming bomb production because these were all important documents about how to move forward with their program, how to go ahead and build a nuclear weapon that was almost certainly larger, more sophisticated and better organized than any of us suspected. And so what we're trying to do in Shakedown is say, yeah, this is a good, exciting adventure story, but guess what? It is rooted in something that you should be aware of and that should, quite frankly, alarm you.
4: Shakedown opens with, an Iranian living in America being killed right there in the Virginia suburbs. And you look around, you realize, oh, yeah, there there are a lot of people who may be here, for example, having fled their country. And there are a substantial number of people who would probably find it very dangerous to go back home, whether in North Korea or China or Russia
2: or Iran. We also know from Putin's actions in London that it is not incomprehensible that the Russian intelligence will try to kill people, even on our shores, kill their enemies, people who speak out against them.
4: Next, why the rising danger of Soviet stealth technology should be alarming to every American. Mayberry and Garrett, characters you met in my national bestseller, Collusion, are caught in the middle of a deadly crisis with an impending nuclear bomb attack and little help from the government who sidelined them both. Will they protect the United States from an unexpected attack from the Russians? And will they survive? Shakedown. Order it now at Gingrich360.com slash shakedown.
1: Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25 percent. Identity theft protection starts here.
5: I'm Katya Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
2: another thing i really like about shakedown we really focus on submarines and i think the american public needs to be aware of two things i think one is the rising danger with soviet technology You know after the spy john walker and his buddy jerry whitworth gave up so many secrets and a lot of them had to do with submarines the russians really intensified their efforts to make the stealth submarine and we discovered last year that they really had succeeded we found out that one of their submarines actually had spent a month in the gulf of mexico and nobody knew it and this is very troubling because the closest way you get to the United States is with a submarine. And that's why the Northwest Passage and all these things are so important because submarines from Russia would come out, they'd hide in the fjords, and then they would come out and sneak down our coast. We have lost some of our ability because of this stealth technology. The other thing that we point out in the book is that again the walker spy case gave up sosis and that was an underwater microphones all along key points outside our nation these are hydrophones that could actually hear submarines coming once the walkers told them about these hydrophones they went around and started destroying them and we had to come up with an underwater integrated undersea surveillance system and one of the characters in our book talks about and this was based on an actual statement How, under the old system, if a whale farted, we would know about it. Well, we don't know about it now. And that's very troubling stuff. But partly
4: creates the sense of believability that shakedown could occur. The ocean is enormous. And it's actually much harder to track ships than it is to track aircraft. And so the total number of ships at any given time is so enormous that it's pretty easy to lose somebody in the noise. And one of the characteristics of the submarine is the effort to be able to hide within merchant ships so that their noise surrounds the submarine's noise. And because you're picking up the merchant ship, you don't notice that there's anything else in the area. And this is a very standard practice that goes all the way back to World War II. There's a tendency to really overestimate our capabilities and underestimate both the
2: capabilities of our opponents, but also their determination. It was the Nazis who used to put their submarines under merchant ships to cross the strait into the Mediterranean. And so we know about these things. I've been to Moscow, and I've talked to their leaders, and they see us as their number one enemy. And in Iran, I'm certain it's even worse based on the reports you see coming out of there. And we have to be aware of this. Part of the challenge is, as we
4: kind of indicate in Shakedown, that the people that you pay to be paranoid aren't. If you've been studying this stuff for 20 or 30 years in a bureaucratic environment, you don't think about how really dangerous it could be because it hasn't been. And so it's easy to say, well, let's not overreact in Shakedown. And they're going to go out there and they're going to do it because they believe in it. And if their boss doesn't get it, tough break. And they all have the attitude, look, if you have to fire me, that'll be okay. But I'm going to do my duty as I see it. My hope is that when people read Shakedown, they'll both get a sense of how dangerous the world is. But they'll also get a sense of how really important it is to cultivate and encourage a heroic patriots who are willing to risk their career as well as their lives. And sometimes, you know, it takes more courage to risk your career than to risk your life because when you're out risking your life you normally have the people on your side with you. When you're risking your career you often have the people closest to you against you. One of the things I'm proudest of is that with Brett Garrett and Valerie Mayberry we've created characters who I think live up to the best of the American tradition. I really want people to know that I'm extraordinarily proud to work with you on these and I'm frankly looking forward to the next adventure so thank you very much. Well, the feelings are mutual. Thank you. My co-author of Shakedown, Pete Early, shares how he got his start writing books from spending a year in Leavenworth prison to meeting American spies to being nominated for a Pulitzer Prize for a book about his son at newtsinnercircle.com. It's a subscription service where I offer insights and commentary on the issues that matter to me most. Join today at newtsinnercircle.com. When we come back, I'll be joined by Dr. Jeffrey Mankoff from the Center for Strategic International Studies, and we'll talk about real Russian threats.
5: I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
4: Jeffrey, thanks for joining me today. I wanted to have you on because there's so much in Shakedown that is inspired by real life events. And I thought you could give us some insights on Russian threats, given your area of expertise. You know, we base Shakedown on two big ideas. One, that there was a study done by the U.S. and we believe picked up on by the Soviets 20 years later, that you could, in fact, create a tsunami if you had a hydrogen weapon underwater. This was a very serious project that they only decided not to do. And then second, we suggest that you could have a natural alliance between the Iranians and the Russians, because each has a vested interest in trying to find a way to weaken us. When you think about how the world's evolving, how do you see the development of Russia and its relationship with other countries?
3: For a lot of the Russian elite, the Cold War is a model in the sense that the Soviet Union was a country that had to be taken seriously, that the United States couldn't take any major decision anywhere in the world without taking the Soviet response into consideration. That framework crumbled once the Soviet Union was no longer around. We tried to preserve elements of it in the early 90s. By just a couple of years into the post-Soviet period, it was clear that the US was not inclined to consider itself constrained by Russian views the way that it was constrained by Soviet views before 1991. In his notorious Munich speech in 2007, Putin said, one country, the United States, is overstepping its bounds in, in all areas and, and who can feel safe and who likes this? Well, nobody. And by nobody, he really meant Russia. But I think what we've seen in recent years is Russia has been effective at working with other partners who dislike or are uncomfortable with the idea of unconstrained American power. The one that gets the most attention, of course, is China whose views of the international system and U.S. leadership are different than Russia's, but they intersect enough that there's some opportunities for the two to work together. Russia's also been able to partner to varying degrees with Iran. I think Iran is an interesting example because that's a very complicated relationship. Russia has been, for the most part, very consistent in opposing Iran's efforts to develop a nuclear capability, and certainly nuclear weapons, but in a lot of other ways has sought to position itself as a partner for Tehran. Certainly, they're working together in Syria, where they have a shared interest in propping up the Assad government, in limiting the ability of the U.S. to establish a toehold in Syria. But at the same time, they have other areas where their interests don't align. I think Russia and Iran are still rivals. So it's a complicated relationship. But to the extent that it focuses on shared concern about the United States, Russia and Iran have been able to work together.
4: One of the themes we're trying to build is this notion that you could also have people operating on their own to a certain extent. We have both an Iranian who is part of the Quds Force, but also has his own interests and his own hatred of America and we have a Russian oligarch who is allied with Putin but not automatically subservient. Is it your sense that all the oligarchs are perfectly in line with Putin, or are there some who are potentially independent actors?
3: When I was living in Russia in the 1990s, people became oligarchs on their own, and they used wealth as a means of getting political power. It was a bunch of oligarchs who got together and basically convinced Yeltsin to make Putin a successor. So wealth was a route to power. Since Putin has become president, it's really flipped. And now power has largely become a path to wealth. So the people in important positions in the Kremlin and and around use that access as the means of controlling the flows of revenue and enriching themselves and their families and, and their patrons. Some of the older oligarchs have managed to keep their wealth by sort of towing the proper political line or just sort of staying out of politics. So they're not all necessarily doing the Kremlin's bidding, but their wealth, their freedom are all contingent on Kremlin approval. If they cross the line and they do things that the Kremlin disapproves of, they can lose it all. This is what happened to Mikhail Khodorkovsky, who was the head of the Yukos Oil Company, which was Russia's largest private oil company. He got involved in politics and was funding various opposition groups, including the communists. He wanted to build a pipeline that the Kremlin didn't want built by a private company. And in response, he was arrested. His company was dismantled. He spent 10 years in Siberia and then was eventually let go and kicked out of the country. And he was kind of a cautionary tale. So the remaining oligarchs in Russia, they sort of understand that there are are limits to what they can and can't do.
4: Xi Jinping had taken to saying that his closest friend internationally was Putin. I think they've met 20-some times in the last three years. They just did a very large military exercise together. How much of that's real and how much of mm-hmm. it is just sort of for show purposes?
3: As China, in particular, has adopted a more adversarial approach vis-a-vis the United States, there's been more Sino-Russian cooperation around some of these issues of global order. But nonetheless, the underlying insecurities between Russia and China, mostly on the Russian side still exist so the russian military is still worried about the fact that china is modernizing pretty rapidly russia has a big trade deficit with china it exports mostly raw materials oil gas timber foodstuffs minerals and it imports finished goods and industrial goods it's not a relationship of equals and the russians understand that and they understand that in an ideal world they wouldn't tie themselves so tightly to China.
4: I really appreciate your taking the time to share with us, and I think that our listeners will find uh, your sophisticated understanding very, very helpful. Thank you. You can read an excerpt of my new novel, Shakedown, and learn more about the real-life stories that inspired our plot on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newt's World is produced by Gingrich360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Debbie Myers and our producer is Garnsey Sloan. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich360. Please email me with your comments at newt at newtsworld.com. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. In the next episode of Newt's World, as the coronavirus continues to spread across the United States and more and more cities and towns are being asked to shelter in place, our economy has taken a temporary economic hit. Congress just passed a $2.2 trillion economic stimulus package, the largest aid package in history, to help bolster the economy during this time. We'll discuss how best to restart the economy and what needs to happen next. I'm Nick Gingrich. This is Newt's World. From BBC Radio
1: 4,
0: Britain's biggest paranormal podcast
1: is going on a road trip. I thought
5: work.
2: Zumo Play.